0: Hello from Houston. Welcome to the Highlights Podcast, brought to you by the Houston Young Lawyers Association. Our goal is to learn, lead, network, and serve. And hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Highlights Podcast. My name is Femi. I'm a transactional attorney here in Houston.
1: And my name is Patrick. I'm an arbitration lawyer also here in Houston. So today we have a very special guest, the president of HILA, Ms. Christina Zuniga. Um, Thank you for joining us, Christina.
2: Thank you guys for having me.
1: So for those who aren't aware, Christina is the current president of HILA for the 2020-2021 bar year. Um, She was elected in April 2019 and assumed office this past June, coinciding with with the bar year. She is a litigation associate at sussman Godfrey. She's originally from Laredo, Texas, attended Rice University for undergrad, and graduated from Stanford Law School in 2015, which means, I guess, Christina, you've been practicing for six years. Is that correct? Uh,
2: Yeah, five-ish years. I was actually supposed to have my five-year law school reunion this fall, um, but because of COVID, that was canceled, sadly.
1: Oh, wow. Corona. <laughs> another, another casualty of this pandemic we're all in. So, <laughs> yeah. thank you so much for joining us. Um, I know um, with everything going on in the world and this transition year sort of that you're going through with Hyla, it's still only been, I guess, maybe now exactly three months if I'm doing my or no, just two months, that you've been president. Wait, no. Anyways, we're going to cut that.
2: Three months. <laughs> You're right. Uh,
1: math I, math
2: a, is really a hard. A quarter of the way in.
1: <laughs> I'm like looking at the six and the nine, but then we haven't finished the nine anyways. Uh,
2: Patrick, I actually think that's exactly consistent with what we were talking about, right? Coronavirus, what is time anymore? Nobody knows how many Yeah,
1: it really is a challenge because this is it will have been six months come end of this month of actual lockdown, which is crazy. Um, yeah. there, there,
0: There's like a very, uh, there's a meme that's traveling around where it says, wow, I can't believe it's September. It feels like March was 16 years ago.
2: <laughs> Accurate.
1: Oh my God, this year has been the worst. Um, but I've really enjoyed being on the HILA board of directors with Femi and you, Christina. Um, right. So Christina, can you walk us through sort of your your Hyla story? What, how did you choose to get involved? Why, and what roles have you had over the years?
2: Well, I feel very lucky to have both of you on the board. Let me just start by saying that. And I guess my Hyla journey um, started somewhat like Femi's in that I was not too involved with the organization before running to be a director. And Femi, I hope that's accurate for you. I think so. Yes,
0: I I am definitely, you know, like a dark horse, you know, last minute bitter sort of thing, (laughs) but I'm here. I'm I'm, I'm here and I'm pulling my weight.
2: You are. I can confirm that. Yeah. I I credit my HILA involvement in large part actually to John Furlow. He was the president elect when I decided to run for the board And I decided to run mostly because he encouraged me to do it. We um, met through my sister and brother-in-law. They've been friends for many years. And John knew I was a new lawyer in Houston and said I should get involved with Hyla. that it was a great way to meet people and gain leadership skills and community involvement. So I decided to go for it. I ran for a director position. Luckily, I won. And um, I served with Lauren Brogdon as president. And it was a great year and a great introduction to HILA. I learned a lot about the organization and the legal community here in Houston. And then I decided to dive even deeper and I ran to be treasurer of the organization. And I did that for a year. And after that, I just thought, wow, I know a lot about the organization now. Being treasurer of any organization, I think you learn just how it runs, right? Because you're seeing the money coming in and going out. Um, And with that experience and with the opportunities I knew would be available to me, if I became president of HILA, I decided to take that next step too. Um, So I ran for the president position, but uncontested and was president-elect last year, and as of three months ago, president.
0: Great. And so is what, what sort of role do you take as president-elect as opposed to president? Is, is it sort of just, um, you know, you're shadowing the president and, I guess, um, helping them, assisting them? Is it sort of a vice presidential role?
2: Truthfully, I think it varies from year to year. I know Sam Torres, who was president last year, was very involved as president-elect. And don't get me wrong, I was involved as president-elect too, but she saw my year as president-elect as really more of a planning year for me. So while I helped with various HILA things last year, I really took a lot of that time to think critically about what I wanted to accomplish this year and and plan for this year, even though nobody expected the coronavirus to completely throw those plans out the window. Um, So that's, I think what the president elect role is most years, but it depends on the person and the president at that time.
1: I guess on the flip side of that, do you find yourself as president relying heavily on your relationships with former presidents? What, what role does say Sam as the immediate past president have? And it sounds like all, a lot of the former presidents in your time in HILA have had a, a large impact on you. Do you still look to them for guidance?
2: Personally, yes, I do. I talked to John and Lauren and Sam as I was planning for this year. As you guys know, because you're both directors on the board this year, I had them even speak during the board of directors retreat that we had in June because I wanted them to share with this year's board what they learned while they were president. And I do. I'm good friends with all of them. And so we'll text occasionally. I'll shoot him an email if something comes up and I work really closely with Alvin too who's the president-elect this year uh, right. so he hasn't been president yet but he has right. a ton of experience both in HILA and other organizations so we yeah. work really closely as well.
1: Very cool so what this has to be one of the most unforeseen things that, that that's characterizing your year how have you how has the transition the president been like and how have you dealt with those challenges?
2: just being flexible, truly thinking about what it is that our members want right now, how we can best serve them and doing my best to offer it. Uh, And I'm lucky again, really that I have the support of the board and other bar leaders in the community too. I've worked really closely this year with Bill Kroger, who's the president of the HBA he was nice enough to include me in this COVID-19 task force he created before even my bar year started. I think he created it in May. Uh, So he knew I was soon to take office and included me in this task force with other bar leaders and community leaders in Houston to talk about what we can do to serve our members and the community right now. Uh, So, that's given me a lot of ideas talking with members and the board has given me a lot of ideas and I've just tried to execute on this.
0: Perfect. And so, um,
2: what do you guys think? How am I doing?
0: <laughs> I mean, uh, well, that wasn't I, part of the, the script. <laughs> no. Christina, I, I honestly think you're doing a fantastic job. And if anything, look, I have two questions. Number one, what is your skincare routine? And, <laughs> What? <laughs> I'm just kidding that... <laughs> i thought
2: you were that was a comment based on all of our zoom meetings yes, um, yes like, well, because probably just good lighting
0: yes and 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 number two how do you juggle all of all of these tasks because you're you're a whole attorney who is i mean you're you're a senior you're a senior associate you are running cases and then you find time to you know hold conversations with people of state and, you know, the, the county judge and, and all these other judges and attorneys. And, and us. Yeah, <laughs> and, and us. I mean, you're, you're talking to us right now. How do, you, how do you handle that?
2: Well, I'm one of those people. Uh, you guys might be one of those people too, or at minimum, you know, people like this who's just always been busy. Um, I sort of live my life this way. I like having things to do, uh, especially things that I find to be fulfilling and meaningful. So yeah, I'm busy, uh, but I enjoy being busy is the first part. Uh, I think another big part of how I juggle things is I have a ton of support from my law firm. Okay. When I was considering running for president-elect, I went and met with the managing partner at my firm, Neil Manny, and I told him I was thinking about it. And he said, absolutely, go for it. He said, my approach to these sorts of things is say yes and figure it out later. <laughs> um, and ah. I've embraced that and it, it's worked out. So I think that's another big part. And then another big part is having the support of my family and my friends. I also got married during the pandemic. Um, Ooh, and my congrats, husband, thank you. Yeah. Back in June, we had... A small, very small uh, civil ceremony, and my husband's amazing and helps me out with all kinds of things all the time. Work things, hyla things, making sure the house is in order things. Uh, so I think having that support system is a contributor to juggling, anyone would say that
0: that that makes perfect sense and just thinking about you know you you mentioned Neil Manny i i've met Neil Manny he's he's a really really great guy um i mean a huge prolific attorney here in Houston um i actually met him at at UT law and he he brought uh anthony graves who was his client and he helped anthony graves get off death row and so it it makes sense when you said that Neil Manny is the guy who encouraged you to you know just go out there, support the community uh, against all odds. It makes perfect sense. And of course, you know, we, we all need the support of our family. Um. So, so that just, it lines up and it, it makes sense. Cause I, I honestly, I'm just, I'm just like, she does, she does it all. <laughs> and, you know, I'm I'm trying to figure it out as, as a first year attorney, how do I make this work? So.
1: And, that's and I'll go back and answer the question you did ask a few minutes ago. And I, as far as how you're doing, I think you're doing a fantastic job, Christina. I, I've really enjoyed
2: Oh, that was a joke. You don't really have to answer <laughs> it. I know you guys are biased
1: anyway. <laughs> well, no, but I'll... <laughs> I mean, yes, we are biased, of course, but um, no, I, I've enjoyed these three months on the board of, of Hyla, and I, I can't thank you enough for encouraging me to apply after I expressed interest, but didn't seem like I was going to follow through. And I'll... I've enjoyed how we've sort of embraced the situation that we're in. Um, I think HILA has been a very forward-looking organization in that regard and doing the best that we can under the circumstances um, and doing our best to bring the same kind of programming that we've done in the past. Stepping a little bit back from HILA, but kind of more to your career as an attorney, um, which sounds like you've been very successful at as well. um, How, kind of going back to the origins, how did you choose to become a lawyer way back when and how did you find your practice?
2: Well, I'm the first lawyer in my family. So I didn't know growing up that I wanted to be a lawyer. I didn't grow up around lawyers, but I did know that there were certain things I enjoyed. I really enjoyed writing growing up and I really enjoyed public speaking. And from that, I drew the conclusion that I should become an (laughs) anchor woman. My mom, watch the Today Show every morning when I was growing up, and I wanted to be Katie Couric. So I went to Boston College right out of high school. They have a great communications program. Uh, Decided I wanted to come back to Texas, transferred to Rice, and it was in satisfying one of my distribution requirements at Rice that I took a philosophy class. And it was purely for that reason. I think I also met the professor at a, a dinner that was organized during orientation at Rice. And so I said, okay, I'll take your class. And I loved it. And I, I really enjoyed philosophy. I ended up making that my major. And
0: oh.
2: I did some research and found out that a common path for philosophy majors was law school. I actually think, at least at the time I looked it up, it's the most common major in law schools um, for you know people's undergraduate major. Right. And and I had to assure my mom that that was something I was considering. Otherwise, she thought I would be limited to becoming a bartender with my philosophy (laughs) degree. Right. Right. Um, So I started going to meetings with the Rice Pre-Law Society. I met a bunch of lawyers that way. And what finally sealed the deal for me to go to law school was I took an introduction to law class that's still taught today by the same person who's a good friend of mine. And that's Rudy Ramirez. He's an AUSA here in town. And he teaches this class to Rice students about law school and what it's like to be a lawyer. And he brings in speakers. I now speak to his class now that I'm a practicing lawyer. And in that class, I participated for the first time in this moot court competition. And my team won and I got best speaker. And I was like, Definitely, yes, this is for me. I want to go to law school and I want to be a trial lawyer. Um, And where exactly that would be, at what firm and uh, what it would look like, I didn't know. But once I came across Sussman Godfrey, and I am biased, uh, but the number one Mm -hmm. litigation boutique in the country, that that was the dream. Um, And I'm just very grateful it worked out. Also, through the Rice Connection, I was involved at rice with the annual fund and somebody who works with the rice annual fund uh and kept in touch with me she was at stanford's campus for a business trip while i was there in law school and we met up and i told her i heard of this firm sussman godfrey i was really interested you know biggest office in houston i want to be in houston because of my rice ties and my family's all in texas and she said oh we have a rice alum who's a partner there i'll connect you to uh his name's joe grinstein and he's now my partner mentor at the firm and it's it's funny how things work out because that's sort of the path
0: now christina is there a specific uh area of law that you practice in or or are you sort of general litigation
2: one of the many things i love about my firm is we're all trial lawyers and we're all generalists Okay So no specialty for me or anyone else. People, mostly partners develop specialties over time just because they have success in a particular area or with a particular case and they get more business in that area. Right. Uh, but they're not categorized in any way.
0: Right. So how, how many uh, trials have you run if, if that's happening at, at your stage?
2: I, I run in the sense that I'm on a lot of cases. I think I'm on 10 cases right now. They're not all active, uh, but I I am on probably 10 different cases right now. And because my firm is a a small firm and part of its model is that it staffs cases very leanly. It's mostly me and and one other partner or one other associate and a partner on the cases. So in that sense, I'm sort of running the case. Uh, I've only actually been to trial once. uh, But it was amazing. Um, And I'm eager to go to trial again. That was this past January. I tried a case in Waco in front of Judge Albright. It was a bench trial. And very grateful to my firm. And it's part of the reason why I picked this firm. I had a big role in the trial. I did the direct of the president of our client company, it was a long two and a half hour direct. So exciting. And yeah, <laughs> wow. it's, it, it's just, again, why I love wow. my job.
1: I'm curious, this idea of a trial attorney, do you have people, how do you sort of see the, the mix of skills between kind of written advocacy and spoken advocacy? I think a lot of maybe law students have this idea that you need to be like an outstanding public speaker um, or... And maybe don't think so much about the written component, but do you see sort of a mix um of skill levels and uses of those skills?
2: Well, I think at my firm, the expectation is that you're excellent at both. Um because you really have to be. The the written product is just as, if not more important than the argument you make. Because so much is resolved without ever getting argument. So you won't have that opportunity to shine in person if the judge doesn't want to hear argument on it. You mm-hmm. got to make sure you make the points in your brief. So I, I think, yeah, you, you really have to hone both skills.
1: So the other part that's interesting about your career is that you've completed two clerkships, but unlike a lot of students, they weren't completed back to it, back. It looks like you, you did one right out of law school and then you practiced a year at Sussman and then you had another clerkship and then returned.
2: That's right. Mm-hmm.
1: How did you navigate the, the transitions, I guess, to and from those experiences? Did you know you were doing them out like at, right after law school, or did you apply to the second one you did while you were working? How in, in terms of applying and also just like transitioning your career, how did that work out?
2: Right. I did know about both clerkships and the timing of them while in law school and basically it was just a consequence of how wacky clerkship hiring is (laughs) now there's even the plan and some judges are on the plan and some judges are not on the plan then there wasn't a plan but it was still confusing because judges sort of did their own thing you had to just check oscar to see who was accepting applications when Um, and and that's what i did and it just worked out that the position Judge Elrod ended up offering me and she was the second of the two clerkships was for a term two years after I graduated and my first clerkship with Judge Saldana was for the year immediately after I graduated so I had this gap and Judge Elrod was wonderful about it and said you think about it you don't have to accept on the spot talk to your firm figure out what works best for you so I did I contacted Sussman Godfrey because I had already accepted my offer as I was saying I, I knew it was the place I wanted to be at so um, I had accepted and I called and said, hey, I'm still committed to the firm. Would this be OK? And they said, yeah, go for it. It's a great opportunity. In fact, at my firm, it's required that you complete at least one federal clerkship. So they definitely appreciate the value of it. Right. And um, I, so I accepted. I, so I knew and uh, just wanted to take advantage of the opportunity. And that's yeah. why I did it. In terms of navigating it, it, it was different. I think that there are pros and cons to both approaches, doing the clerkships back to back and taking the break. The The pros with the break was it was a break, you know, <laughs> like um, yeah. you guys are living in it now. You're both first years, right?
1: Yes. Yes, I
2: am. Yeah. So I think if your first year at a firm, at any firm, is going to be grueling because It's new, you're learning the ropes and just what it is to practice law. And at my firm, especially where it's very much in the best way possible, a throw you into the deep end kind of firm. I I was taking depositions, I was arguing at hearings. So after a year of that, it it was truthfully kind of nice to have um, Uh, the clerkship. Um, Not that the clerkship was a walk in the park. It was hard work Mm. too, but a different kind of work and a little slower was an an appellate clerkship. So more quiet time to think and write. And uh, I did have a lot of time to do those things and improve my writing a lot, especially with Judge Elrod's feedback and mentorship and got back to the firm ready to get going again. And, And it also really reminded me how much I like the hustle and bustle I really missed practice when I was clerking because I like the phone calls and the emails and having things to keep me moving as I was talking about earlier uh, so I, it was also good confirmation that I was in the right place
0: no that's good and and i'm I'm thinking that there's some some sort of built in knowledge base when you go from practicing and then go get a clerkship because you're on one side of the bench and then you're on the other and so you can walk into your clerkship with the understanding of what things are on on this side and then you're like well i'm seeing what he he he's doing right now and that's what i used to do like can i make it better you know is 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 he or she doing the right thing and and sort of that that sort of kind of molds you more would you would you agree
2: Yeah, that's a great point, Femi. I think that's right. It's nice to have been on the briefing side of things and then reading briefs and I could see, oh, wow, this this works. This doesn't really work. And especially with my judge, what's persuasive to her and what's not. And it was kind of fun with my co-clerks too. I was the only one who had practiced out of the four of us. So they would ask me questions sometimes like, how does this work? And is this normal? Because they had either come from law school or a clerkship. So they hadn't experienced practice yet.
1: Right. Yeah, that's interesting. Because I feel like as someone who's now practicing in a firm, you have a lot of people who formerly clerked. And it's kind of the inverse of that, where you, you, you're you trying to get insight on how it worked inside the chambers. Right. Um, yeah. I never thought about it the other way around.
2: Yeah, that's exactly right.
0: Um, now, Christina, can we? let's let's discuss more about how you balance you know work and community involvement so can you just give us you know perhaps a step by step of what what that actually looks like for you how do you balance hyla your pro bono cases and just your general docket
2: hmm well i guess i would say like anything else it's just prioritizing um, and setting aside pockets of time to, to do different things. Um, I'm not actually at the moment working on any pro bono cases, but I have earlier in my career. And the nice thing about my firm, about um, amongst other things, is my firm is very encouraging of pro bono work And the pro bono experiences I've had have been through the firm and they're billable just like any other work I'm doing at the firm. So good. yeah, balancing a pro bono case with my other cases is just like balancing another case. It's not treated any differently. Uh, I don't have to find extra time late in the night to work on my pro bono case. I'll work on it, you know, whenever I'm working. Uh, So that helped with the balancing a lot. I've also found some other ways to do pro bono work that's more manageable. So earlier in the year, pre-COVID, for example, I took a trip down to South Texas where I'm from and I gave some legal help to detained undocumented children. Um, And that was just a weekend thing. There's organizations that coordinate that and they'll get a group of lawyers and take you down. And it was a long weekend and I worked long days that weekend. Uh, but it, it's not an ongoing case. So I did the intake. I filled out the forms. I did some initial screening. And, and that was the job. And I could contribute in that more bite-sized way. Right. But, and with Hyla stuff, it's depended on my role. My year as treasurer, I found that the best way for me to juggle my treasurer responsibilities with my full-time associate job is I created a separate folder in my gmail for my treasurer stuff and i would set aside time usually on the weekends to go through all the stuff so who who needs a check um you know what deposits do i have to categorize that sort of thing i would do it in a chunk of time like that now as president that just wouldn't work there's too many things happening on a quick moving basis that yeah. um, I couldn't just say, I'll deal with that on Sunday. Sunday might be too late. So I, I deal with those emails as they come in now. And I just, I, I'll triage and figure out what needs to be done when. But I, I review them as they come in. And it's just like balancing anything else.
1: Um, so I guess the other thing we'd like to talk to you about, Christina, is, so you mentioned you were in trial earlier this year in January. And obviously, a lot has changed in the world since January um, with this
0: pandemic.
2: (laughs) Have you heard? (laughs) heard? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's crazy. As you were just saying that, Patrick, and I know I said it a second ago, like, wow, was that this year? It really seems like uh, years ago that I was in a courtroom in Waco, Texas. But yeah, it was this January.
1: Yeah, and now it's jury trials are few and far between and other bench trials are happening on zoom when they're happening um generally speaking i'm sure there are exceptions here and there um so what in terms of your work i don't know if you had trials coming up this year that have maybe been continued but in general how is your how has your work changed has the workflow and the actual work itself um changed during this time for you
2: The work has not changed that much, uh, but things certainly have been pushed. I actually was supposed to be in trial, jury trial later this month that has not technically been rescheduled, but because of the Texas Supreme Court's latest order, will not be happening. uh, So we're going to have to figure out when that's actually going to take place. I think initially, and I'm sure this is the experience for a lot of people initially everything was kind of frozen while people were figuring out what's going on like how much are we going to have to push things and things did get a little slower uh deadlines were pushed like well maybe we'll just sort of push everything back a few months and then everything will go back to normal (laughs) obviously that didn't happen uh so (laughs) once people realized that which now was a few months ago things have been sort of back to full swing i'm working full days just working from home my firm assessment godfrey closed its offices in early march and has not opened them since we're actually not even allowed in the building without permission from our managing partner i'm sorry not in the building but we don't have control over the whole building but in our offices um right. without permission from our managing partner so i have not even attempted to go to the office i've been working mm-hmm. comfortably from home and Doing all the same things, just from here. So I've argued Zoom hearings, and uh, briefing, and taking calls, Zoom meetings, all the things.
0: Now, I mean th- this is just my personal, yeah, yeah. Just my my brain is weird, but I I just find it fascinating that people have this idea of what an attorney is. An attorney wears a suit, a tie. Um, you know, they go into these courts of, of grand importance and stand before <laughs> these learned men. And now everybody's sort of waking up like five minutes before a call and, you know, the Keurig's on and, yeah. you know, you have your phone on mute and, you know, maybe if somebody has kids, they're like helping them do their homework. Is It's just such a weird transition right now. Um,
2: I'm it's, curious it's what odd. you guys think think, on that note, I have been wondering, what is more weird? Is it more weird to put on a suit and nice jewelry and do your hair and stuff like that for, and we'll, we'll set aside court appearances, because I do think that there's a certain level of formalism that you should follow for a court appearance, but say it's just a meeting, maybe with colleagues right. or with opposing counsel. Is it right. more weird to put all that stuff on and people to know that you got dressed up, even though you're at home, to meet with them virtually? Or is it more weird to be casual, even though, duh, that's what people would expect, you're just sitting at home? I, I can't figure out which is the more appropriate approach.
1: I guess the answer to that has to be who, in the eye of the beholder type thing. I wish there was a right or wrong answer, but yeah, I, I don't have one. <laughs> huh. I, I will
0: say this, I, I okay I I will say this as a transactional attorney just you know my line of work doesn't require me to you know go into a courtroom or generally we we uh discuss things with a client or over the phone um and so if I did have a zoom it would be weird to me if they like had a had a suit jacket on and like you know a starched white shirt and right. then they're they're like in their living room I'm like is is everything okay <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? like and so I, I guess to me, it's weird, um, but I, 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 you know, there is something to a uniform and I understand that for certain occasions you put the uniform on. I, I just think right now, it, you know, there's just so much going on. I think it's okay to have a break, but it's, it's also just odd mentally.
1: The interesting thing to me is that so Femi and I, as you said, are both in our first year and that year will We'll finish this first year, maybe the end of this month for both of us, I think. Um, and no matter how jarring the transition was in March for those first couple of weeks to working from home, we'd only been working in the office for like six to seven months at that point. And I can't imagine what the transition has been like for people who have been practicing for years, if not sure. decades even. I, I think that's uh, true. Where it's they, they've had this routine routine. Um, I mean, even for you, Christine, you've been practicing for five years, and I'm sure this has been a very strange transition, just so much more surreal for you.
2: Yeah, it's been uh, an adjustment. I actually recently bought a house. We closed at the end of March, uh, Mm -hmm. but it took us a while to move. I mean, that was just when the pandemic was starting to spread. And so the first part of quarantine I was working from my parents' house, <laughs> not oh. even just working from home, but working from my parents' house. And that was a diff- very different way. Oh, yeah. Of oh, yeah. Spending my uh, days working than I had been doing before in the office. And I adore my parents, and they were wonderful to have me and Rick staying with them. And we were fortunate to have plenty of space but yeah it was very different from my typical routine of stopping at my favorite coffee shop and going into the office I was having breakfast with my parents like I was in high school and then going up to work right
0: <laughs> work a full 12-hour day after having some uh, fruit loops or something and <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> no my mom makes a mean breakfast taco that's usually how we started the day
1: oh yeah Such a nice picture, though, in in comparison to the other, like, that's a nice way of putting it almost of like, I'm not saying we yearn for the days of high school, but that's kind of a nice uh, transition. (laughs) Of like, I do
0: not. I definitely (laughs) do not. I'm glad to be here.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, of course. But yeah, that's interesting. It
2: was it was very nice quality time that I think I will really cherish looking back on. Right.
1: Yeah. And I I imagine there are a lot of people in similar but different situations that may have some silver linings like that. Um, Very cool. Hmm. So I guess sort of to wrap things up here, Christina, do you have any advice for young lawyers or law students who, I guess, with everything kind of going on, uh, or maybe even just notwithstanding this situation, may suddenly feel less sure in their futures?
2: My advice would be find what motivates you. Find what excites you and feels less like work and more like something you would do in your free time. And I think that will make work a lot more rewarding and you'll be better at your job. If you're doing something you love and enjoy, you're going to be better at it. And the better you are, the less you'll have to worry about having to find a job or um, succeeding, because if you love it, you'll be great at it. And if you're great at it, you'll succeed. So my advice would be to find what motivates you and how do you do that? I would say, try different practice areas or subjects while in law school, whether it's taking a class that you aren't sure of or doing a clinic, if you're you know a law student, or if you're a young lawyer, meeting people who practice in different areas of the law asking them what their day-to-day is like and exploring those options so you can find the path that's right for you
0: no that's correct i i agree with that and i guess just just to add to that last point um i do think a lot of people now think that networking is kind of done but it's not it's just been augmented and so if you you know, instead of reaching out with an email and asking to meet to meet up, you just say, "Hey, can we chat? Can we have a Zoom?" And you know, that that stuff can still work.
2: I find that the virtual networking even has some benefits over in-person networking. There's something about being in this Zoom room with someone uh, that allows. For a conversation that's more difficult than if you had to walk up to them and tap them on the shoulder and introduce yourself. So with some of our HILA events where we have small groups, I've been able to meet and get to know people that I maybe wouldn't have met had we done an, an in-person event. So I do uh-huh. encourage people to take advantage of HILAs or any other organization's networking opportunities, even if it has to be through Zoom. Perfect.
0: Now, I, I have a secret question, Christina. I, I hope you can answer it.
2: Okay.
0: What, what's your favorite restaurant in town?
2: I'm, I'm taking this question very seriously. Uh, you should. Uh, I think my answer is uchi. Oh. And that's weighing a number of different factors. Uh, both type of food. I love sushi.
0: Okay.
2: Quality of the food excellent quality and I'm throwing in there sort of nostalgia feel as to why I'm picking it as my favorite uh Rick my husband and I went on our first dinner date to Uchi and when he proposed he organized a little dinner with our family members and close friends also at Uchi and they gave us a signed cookbook that's now proudly displayed in our house so a lot of sentimental reasons why I love Uchi too.
0: Perfect. That's an awesome pick. Thanks. And it has a great story behind it.
2: Thanks, guys. Yeah. Well, thank you both so much for asking me to participate in this. It's been a lot of fun. And thank you too for taking the lead on this podcast. I'm excited to listen to your future episodes.
1: Thank you for listening to another episode of the Highlights Podcast, brought to you by the Houston Young Lawyers Association. To reach us, please email us at highlightspodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. We hope to hear from you if you have any comments or questions about this episode or thoughts on a future one. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you have a great rest of your day.